0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. You know, today we celebrate... Palm Sunday. This is the week before Resurrection Sunday. It's called Palm Sunday. When I was a kid, I used to think it had something to do with my hands. I'm like, what is Palm Sunday? And then I realized it had something to do with these palm tree branches, these palm branches that they had cut down. And it was this big celebration of Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem just a week before his crucifixion and his resurrection. And so we're going to talk about that today. Do you realize that that was the final week of Christ's ministry here on the earth? The final week, you know, what was going through his mind? What was going through the minds of the disciples? I think most of it was like, duh, because they were clueless. Because when Jesus was crucified, they were like, what just happened? And they all scattered, it said, and they weren't sure what was really going on. But this week, which a lot of the church refers to as Holy Week, we think about this idea of Jesus' triumphant entry on Palm Sunday. Uh, We think about this idea of, there's all these days, right, Palm Sunday, uh, we have Good Friday, we have Holy Saturday, uh, we have Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, and all those things in between. But what do they really mean? So I want to talk about that today. As I was preparing this week, I really wanted to focus on this idea of Palm Sunday and what it really means. So, what is the takeaway from this celebration? We're going to look at that today. And what is it we can learn as we approach Resurrection Sunday? Amen. You guys ready to go on a journey with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have together this morning to look into your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would see things a little differently today than we've ever seen them before, that it would be this opportunity we have to to think, not just with our head, but with our heart, to hear what you're really here to say to us today, Holy Spirit. And I pray above all things that as we leave this building today, we would sense a freedom that we've never sensed before. We would sense a relationship with you, a deepness, a meaning that we've never seen or sensed before. After all, that's why you created us, simply for relationship. And everything we do for you comes out of that love relationship with you. So we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You know, when I think about Palm Sunday, I think about disappointment. Dis- disappointment? Isn't this supposed to be exciting? Isn't this supposed to be some happy time? I think about disappointment. Why? Well, we'll get into that in just a little bit. But have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever um, had something happen in your life that wasn't expected? I think all of us can say, yes, that's me. Maybe that happened to you just this week, this month, this year. But we all go through disappointment. We all have great expectations for things in life, and they don't always pan out the way that we had intended them to pan out, amen? And so we're left disappointed, we're left distraught, we're wondering why things aren't running smoothly, what's really going on? It made me think about this mission trip to Peru one year. It was uh, my wife, Kristen, and my oldest, uh, Bianca, my daughter, and me. I think Bianca was about, you were a teenager then. It was early 2000s. That really doesn't matter. So it was the early 2000s we went on this trip, and, and it was exciting. And there were these wonderful people and wonderful food. I don't know if you know anything about me, but I really love food. Like, I think food is the cause of celebration, and every celebration should be cause of eating more food. It's just what I do in life. But they had some awesome food. One thing that I really loved in Peru, and I don't know if I get these names exactly right, but there was something called Lomo Santado. That's it. Lomo Santado. And it was these strips of beef, and it was mixed with all these veggies. And then they had these little fried potatoes in it called papa fritas. You ever had papafritas? It's called French fries, Really? And so we would eat these and it was just so good. But there was another thing I loved. And, and it wasn't until, because when I was a teenager, I spent about three months in Peru uh, with this mission, but went back later. It was about 2002, I think. And um, they had this, this meal that we had at this little missionary's home. And it was called aji de gallina. You remember this? And it was this pepper sauce with shredded chicken. And it was over top of these little fried potatoes. Man, they love fritas there, right? Good stuff. And so it was just so good and so awesome. But we spent time in this, this village, and it was literally the jungle. Like they carved out dirt roads, and there was these motels and stuff, but in the middle of a jungle. And they had this tent, and we had these meetings. It was awesome. And then the pastor and his wife who were about, what, three, five? They might have been four or five. They were just these beautiful people, and they provided for the whole missions group there this dinner. And it, it took like a month's worth of wages to make this dinner for us. It was just amazing. And so we met these wonderful people and had a great time. But while we were there, the one thing that I lacked most of all was sugar. There wasn't a lot of sugar. You couldn't just go to the corner store and get like some cookies or a Twinkie or something, right? It just wasn't available. And so, you know, as an American, how many would say we're probably addicted to sugar just a little bit? You don't want to raise your hand. You're faith people. I am not addicted to sugar. I'm not addicted. I get it. But, but sugar is one of those things for me, I, I just love sugar. And so we're a few days into this mission trip and I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, I need some sugar. So then we, we went to this restaurant, you know, when, when you're on these missions trips, a lot of times these guides and the pastors, they want to make you feel as at home as they can. And so we went to this, this restaurant that was a little more American style restaurant, a little more upscale. And so we had this wonderful dinner, and we had servers and things like that. Well, at the end of the meal, the waitress walks up, and she has one of those dessert trays. I'm like, what? Did we just get back to America? There's a dessert tray with all these wonderful desserts. Man, there was this one particular dessert that I was straight up lusting. I'll be honest with you. It was seven-layer chocolate cake. Wow, right? That's, that's Jesus right there. We should, we should use that for communion. 7 layered, chocolate More people would come out. Seven layer chocolate cake, and so I'm like, I'll have that. I mean, there was no if, ands, or buts, I'll have that right there. And I was anticipating, I, I was, had high expectancy. Thank you, Jesus, because I got me some seven layer chocolate cake. So she brought the cake to the table, and I'm getting ready. I'm like, Man, this is going to be awesome. And I, I took that first bite and I put it in my mouth, and it wasn't quite what I had expected. It was almost as if you went to your favorite bakery or your favorite restaurant, and you were to order the seven-layer cake that they make all the time, but they made a little change in the recipe, and they thought, let's just put about 15% of the sugar that we usually put in it. So my sugar fix didn't get fixed, so I ate this. I'm like, it's a little dry, and it's not really sweet, and I think I ate it anyway because, you know, I was taught you clear your plate. You're thankful for what you have, but it just it didn't quite meet my expectations, As I put that in my mouth, I'm like, this isn't seven-layered chocolate cake. It's supposed to be a layer of cake and then some frosting and then cake and then some ganache and some cake and some other goo. I don't know. Just put it together like I like it, but it wasn't what I was used to. And so I I took a bite of this, and I'm like, I was disappointed. I know you're like, big deal, American guy. You were disappointed. There's people starving. I get it. I get it. But for me, that was great disappointment for me. It wasn't what I was expecting to have. Now, I want us to take a journey back to somewhere around 30 to 36 AD. This is about the time that Jesus had this triumphant, celebratory entrance into Jerusalem. And I want us to put ourselves into the mind of the Jews at the time. Because I want to talk about this idea of disappointment today. So here's Jesus, here's this procession, and he's he's coming into the city of Jerusalem where the temple was. And I want us to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 21, in verse 1. When they neared Jerusalem, having arrived at Bethphage on Mount Olives, Jesus sent two disciples with these instructions. He says, go over to the village across from you. You'll find a donkey tethered there, her colt with her. Untie her and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, say this. The master needs them. Man, I wish I had that kind of authority. Go get that for me. If they ask, just say the master needs it. All right, right on, right? It says he will send them with you. Verse four, this is the full story of what was sketched earlier by the prophet. This is the prophet Zechariah. He says, tell the Zion's daughter, look, your king's on his way, poised and ready, mounted on a donkey, on a coat, full of a pack animal. Verse 6, the disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They led the donkey and colt out, laid some of their clothes on them, and Jesus mounted. Nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road, giving him a royal welcome. Others cut branches from the trees and threw them out as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead and crowds followed, all of them calling out, listen to this, Hosanna, Say that with me. Hosanna to David's son. Blessed is he who comes in God's name. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Verse 10. As he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken. Unnerved people were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? The parade crowd answered, this is the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth, In Galilee. Now, can you you get this picture of what's going on here? Here's Jesus. He's on a donkey. He's riding into the city. People start laying their coats out before him. They start cutting branches off the trees, cutting off branches, and they're laying him down in front of him. They're giving him this royal welcome as he comes in, entering into the city. But even as the coatless multitudes waved the palm branches and they shouted for joy, they missed the true reason for Jesus being here. But in the Gospel of Luke, he tells us this in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, as it continues. It says this, when he, meaning Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and get this, he wept over it. He wept over the city. I mean, Jesus, they, they're celebrating you as, as you enter into the city, and it says Jesus wept over it. Verse 42, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children with you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Now, what Jesus is describing here, not even, not even a full generation later in 70 A.D., the complete annihilation and the fall of Jerusalem, the temple There was over 8,000 priests in the Levite priesthood, completely eradicated. Every genealogy was completely burned. The temple, not one stone was left upon the other. Horrible time in history. But we have to see something here. Jesus isn't saying, I want this to happen to you. He wept because you can't even see why it is that I came to this earth. You glorify me as I enter the city as a king. But here I am, I'm weeping. So what's really going on here? Why was Jesus weeping? I mean, he just got this completely royal welcome. Well, let's dig into this just a little bit. First of all, why a donkey? Why did Jesus ride a donkey? Have you ever asked yourself that question? We read these things sometimes. We're like, oh, cool, he's on a donkey. Cool, he's on a donkey. What does it mean? Well, first of all, we have to understand this Middle Eastern history. If a king came in, he came on one of two animals, a horse or a donkey. Now, if a king was was entering a city on a horse, beware, because that meant war. That meant I will dominate you. I rule this joint, so get used to it. But when a king would ride into the city on a donkey, it represented peace. I come in peace. So Jesus rode a donkey. Why? Because he was entering into the city in peace. And he was trying to show people and demonstrate what the kingdom of God really looked like. Aren't we glad that he didn't come in on a horse? They weren't. We're talking about disappointment today, aren't we? They were really disappointed that Jesus didn't come in on a horse. What they say here is they say the word Hosanna or Hosanna. That word means save us save now. It means rescue us. See, many thought that when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he would come as a a warrior messiah, a warrior king, that he would defeat Rome and then reign as king. In reality, Jesus was a king, but his kingdom, he said this with his own lips, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, when we hear that, what do we think sometimes? We're like, oh, no, no, his kingdom's in heaven. It's far away. It's somewhere far away. How many know that when God created man, where did he put him? In earth. How many are on planet earth right now? How many are hoping we are? He created man and he put us into this earth. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. What he's talking about is a world system. Think about this world system of of hatred and anger and greed and retribution See, his kingdom was completely different. Think about what Jesus demonstrated. He would walk out love. He would walk out healing and deliverance, peace, grace, goodness, restoration. And then he said this, I have come to show you the Father. I only say what the Father says. I only do what the Father does. He was trying to demonstrate the kingdom to us. So he comes in peace on a donkey, and they're screaming, save now, rescue us. See, his strategy was not to change politics. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Mm -hmm. Think about the parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost coin. Another parable of the lost son. Pete shared on that last, last week. Jesus came to save, to seek first of all. That's what's so cool about God. He's always seeking after us. Sometimes, it's like, I got to seek the Lord. He's seeking you. He's already there. Just turn around. Oh, there you are. But he came to seek and to save the lost. Now, what does it mean to be lost? Because for some of us, we, we look at this in a, in, I don't want to say over spiritual way, but we're like, okay, we're lost spiritually and he had to somehow reconnect us. I agree with that. But, but what about this? We were people who lost our identity, we didn't know who we were anymore. We had lost the blueprint for our life. You know, when God created man, he had a blueprint, he had a purpose, he had a plan. And let me say something, it never changed. His plan for you, his plan for me, his plan for Adam and Eve, his plan for the entire world, never changed. The blueprint never changed. We were people who had lost their identity. We lost the blueprint for our lives. We were sons and daughters, but living like orphans. See, the Apostle Paul says in the book of Acts, he says, we are all the offspring of God. The scriptures tell us this, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, bringing us into favor with him. And Jesus came to demonstrate what the kingdom of God should look like on this earth. In fact, it was already contained in humanity, but our our hearts were veiled. That's what's beautiful about on the cross when it says when Jesus gave up his spirit, when he commended the spirit uh, to his father, what happened? It says the veil was rent in two, from top to bottom. Man had nothing to do with it. So it was rent from top to bottom. It was symbolizing something that this veil was being rent, the veil that had fallen over our hearts. Even the Apostle Paul says that when, when the law or Moses is preached that a veil falls over our hearts. See, it's not a life of living according to law. It's a life living according to love, the love of God. So what happens is that veil is removed, and now what happens is our spirit, which was dead, that word means asleep, is aroused, it's awakened, and now our spirit can work hand in hand with our soul, and it starts to clean out those recesses and those areas of our soul, and we start to see things differently. So again, his strategy was not to change politics. He came to seek and save the lost, Think about this. Jesus didn't show up on this planet to change God's mind about us. He came here to change our minds about God. See, so many times, if we're, if we're not careful, the gospel can come across in this way that, that God was ticked off. He had an issue with us. He didn't really love us like he did before. And then Jesus stepped in and somehow was like, come on, God, look at They're okay. Come on, God, look at me. Come on. I'm trying to convince you that these people are okay. No, 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 no. Jesus came to show us the heart of the Father. He came to show us what he was motivated by, how he walked and talked and worked. That's what Jesus came to demonstrate. He came here to change our minds about God. Even when he he said, when you pray, say, our Father. That was a big paradigm shift. Our Father? I mean, the Jews didn't call God their Father. They had Father Abraham, but Father God? Jesus said a lot of radical things, didn't he? So, again, what happens in this process is we start to change our minds about God, and then in turn, this will change our minds about ourselves. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as someone who has a blueprint that God has a purpose and plan for? If you don't, you should. Palm Sunday is a reminder that we needed someone to give us a new way of seeing God, a new way of seeing ourselves, a new way. Of being human. How many can look back in history and realize uh, the way that we were living wasn't quite working out? I mean, even Israel, a chosen people, the whole point of, of Israel was for God to have relationship with them so the whole world could see what it looks like to have relationship with the creator, a person that you can call father, a person that you can call friend, someone who loves you, who cares about you, who shares grace, In love with you. Is God love? Well, then he wanted to love. He wants to love. And so Israel was supposed to be this holy nation, a royal priesthood. Holy just means separate, something other than. They were supposed to live life other than the rest of culture, the rest of the nations. And they failed because of this this mind. They couldn't wrap their head around this idea that God truly wanted relationship with them that was intimate and personal. Had they done that, they would have lived life completely different. They would have had a just society. They wouldn't have acted like all other cultures. And those cultures, it says, would have been jealous. They would have said, I want what you have. What is different about your culture? What is different about your nation? But they failed, like many of us do. So when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the day in which we celebrate Palm Sunday, he came with this great applause, with this great cheer. I mean, the people laid out palm branches. They laid out their cloaks. They knew that Jesus could do the miraculous. They heard the stories. They may have even seen them. Yet what they missed is that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was not to set up a political reign or to expel the Roman rule. It was to promote justice and peace to Israel, to show Israel the proper way to see God and to see others. I really believe that Jesus came. If you look through his whole ministry, he was trying to get them to not live this us in them life, because that's why Jesus got so irritated with religion at the time, with the temple establishment, because there were outcasts. Think about this. Every person that the temple establishment called a sinner, an outcast, Jesus sat and ate with them. <laughs> we we got to see what was going on. Jesus didn't get crucified because he was talking about heaven. Jesus got crucified because he was saying things that had a political bent. It was saying, the way that you say in religion, the way to God is wrong. God wants relationship in everyone is included, every time he sat down to a meal in Jewish culture with someone, he was saying, you are accepted. You are included. And it really ticked off the religious establishment. Another thing you don't do in the time of Roman occupation is walk around saying that you're a king and you're the king of a kingdom. doesn't go over very well. So it makes sense that Jesus was crucified. He came against the, the two big establishments, religion and empire. And whenever you do that, you going to go down. It's not going to go well for you. But see, Jesus wanted to show us something, that it's not a life that we live about us and them. So what happened a week later? I mean, here's the people. He's coming into the city. They're saying, Hosanna, save us. They're celebrating him. And not even a week later, just a few days later, yelling, crucify him, crucify him. What happened? I would always ask myself the question, these people just a few days earlier were celebrating him. Now they're saying crucify him. Can I tell you why? They were disappointed. They were disappointed. See, there were so many prophecies pointing to this time that a Messiah would come and rescue them. In fact, just before Jesus and even after Jesus, many false messiahs would rise up. They were messiahs with swords in their hand. They were messiahs who said, we will, we will lead Israel against Rome. We will take them down and take back our kingdom. But Jesus came in on a donkey in peace without a sword in his hand. They were expecting Messiah who would overthrow Rome. Take a seat on the throne and say, we have our kingdom. We have our nation back. Let me say something. They were really disappointed. And within a few days, they were like, crucify him. Where's the next Messiah? Because this is not the Messiah. But their scriptures talk about a different Messiah. See, they were disappointed. They had great expectations that weren't met. Now, I want us to, because sometimes it's easy to go, man, those Jews, those Israelites, man, why didn't they get it together? I think if we were in the same spot, we may have acted the same way. I mean, these are people who had gone through centuries of exile, slavery, oppression, warfare, occupation. They just wanted to be themselves. They wanted to be their own nation. They were tired. They were so ready for freedom. How many of us in our own life, we get so tired, we're just ready for freedom, but we go about it the wrong way to obtain it. Jesus is trying to show us something different. Listen, they felt disappointed. They felt let down. Where's the Messiah? Where's the warrior Messiah? Why didn't he ride into Jerusalem on a horse and take care of business? Why didn't he overthrow Rome? See, he was trying to show a different way. Jesus wasn't there to overthrow Rome. He wasn't there to become king of Israel in that way. Why was he here? To demonstrate the kingdom of God. To show us how to live peaceably, how to be merciful and forgiving, how to include everybody. He came to testify of the love of the Father. I mean, think about it. Everywhere he went, he completely exemplified the Heavenly Father's love toward us. You can see it all through scripture and it's so irritated the religious community why are you sitting with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors people who have been been called sinners that wasn't just like oh you sinned this was the temple establishment saying you're an outcast you're no longer able to worship with us And Jesus sat with them. And the religious leaders could not wrap their heads around this. They'd say, Jesus, you're supposed to be a teacher. Some call you rabbi, yet you sit with these people. And Jesus said something interesting. He said, I haven't come for those who are well. I'll come for those who are sick. And let me give you a little secret here. Even those righteous people who had the self-righteousness, who maybe obeyed the law and did their things, they were even sick on the inside and didn't even know it. Even though they looked good on the outside, something wasn't right on the inside. The Apostle John tells us this in 1 John chapter 4. Looking at verse 9, it says, This is how God showed his love for us. Now I want us to key into something here. He's about to tell us, this is how God showed his love for us. How? God sent his only son into the world so we might, what? Live through him. This is how he showed us love. He sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, this word through in the Greek is the word dia, and it means by means of or with the help of. It reminds me of that famous scripture in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do You know, that's our whole life. Our whole life should be a life where we're living through him. He's living through us. I say it often, but he gave his life to us so he could live his life through us. It's by his strength, his power, his ability. Because to live the way that Jesus demonstrated, I'm sorry, but it's impossible without Christ living it through you. So for many of us, we have to awaken to this fact that we're in Christ and that we do have a blueprint for our life. We do have a plan. We do have a purpose. But instead of trying to do it on our own, we need to say, all right, Jesus, I'm going to allow you to live your life through me. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to watch you. We're going to do this together. We're going to do life together. It's a beautiful thing when we get it. But the word through means by means of or with the help of. Not only that, the word means means an action or system by which a result is brought about. So the results that we want to see, living a life of peace, grace, goodness, love, unity, accepting people where they are so they can see where they are, and then they can have that relationship with God and he can start to work through their life. He'll clean up those areas in their life. You know, I'll tell you what, it took a lot of pressure off when I realized that I didn't have to change people. When I personally don't have to change people, even as a pastor, I don't have to manage people's sin. I don't have to point my finger at them. I need to point them to God, get them to focus on Jesus. Who are you in Christ? What does God think of you? How does he see you? And what happens is you start to awaken to who you really are. And all of a sudden, and I've experienced this in my own life, and several people I've talked to the same thing. When we would try to do the right things, we would fail again and again and again. But there seems like there was so much less failure when we'd say, you know what, I can't live life on my own. I can't just do these things. I'm going to concentrate on my love relationship with you and those things that you've already worked in, the good works, the fruit of the Spirit, you are the one who works those through me. And so what do we do? We work out our salvation. It makes it so much easier when we approach life this way. But John says that God showed his love for us by sending his only son in the world so we might live through him. Here's the issue. Humanity has believed the lie that you can't trust God. You can't trust God. He doesn't really love you. He's holding out on you. Does this sound familiar? This reminds me of the story of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve thought, hmm, God's holding out on us. Does he really love us? Does he really care? Can we really trust him? See, when we live a life, I see it all the time, folks. When we live a life where we just don't trust God, We're not sure of our relationship with him. We don't know if he's holding out. We don't know if he's really that good to us. There's only two ways to go with this, religion or atheism. (laughs) One person says, okay, if God doesn't love me, if I don't have favor from him, there's really no trust. I'm going to work really hard through performance and self-effort to somehow garner that love, to get that love, to, to gain that trust somehow, to really believe that I'm okay with God. So we work really hard at religion. And religion is trying to impress God, trying to perform for God, to make something happen that's already there. But then others on the other side, some who have grown up in church, the church has done a really good job of creating atheists, by the way. So they say, you know, you know, you know what? If that's who God is, if he's angry, if he's retributive, if he doesn't really love us, if we have to perform an order for, you know what, I just prefer not believe in him. So you have religion on one side, and you have atheism on the other, and the thing is, both roads are dead ends. Both roads are dead ends. Because there's this this road right in between in the middle that Jesus came to show us its relationship with God, a father who loves you, who cares for you, who wants to spend time with you, who wants to have intimate relationship with you, who wants to show you the goodness of life. He wants to show you the goodness of you. I mean God created you in his image. And I think that's why we get it wrong when we go around and tell people you're filthy, you're dirty, you're rotten, you're a scoundrel. I mean think about how we present the gospel. You're wretched you don't deserve anything. But Jesus, wait a minute. Maybe it's more of us changing our mind about how God really sees us. It really blew my mind the first time that I saw the Apostle Paul say that we were enemies of God, and then he goes on to say, in our minds. That like just blew my paradigm wide open. I'm like, wait a minute, in our minds? Same thing with Adam and Eve. Same thing with mankind as we progress through this life. It's like we see God as he's angry, he's mad, he's mean, he's got a big ego. Uh, You better worship me or else. But I see so many things in the Bible as I see through the lens of Christ of how his relationship for us is just so beautiful. I mean, like he could have just given up on humanity, but he never did. He pursued us for thousands and thousands of years because he loved us and he didn't want to lose us. And and he said, you know what? You're lost in your mind. You don't see me correctly. You don't see your life correctly. See, if we don't see God correctly, we don't see ourselves correctly. If we don't see that we're designed uh, for good and we have a blueprint on our life, how are we going to act? If you're told your whole life that you're wretched, if you're told that you're pathetic, how are you going to act? Wretched and pathetic. But Jesus came to awaken us to something. God loves you. He cares for you. And although you're lost, guess what? I want to find you. I want you to be found. I want you to be found in me. I want you to see that you're no longer orphans. You are sons and daughters. I want you to see that you're made in the image of God. See, when we start to see ourselves like this, our life changes. Our responses, how we act, our behaviors, they all change. I believe today that Jesus rules and reigns in the hearts and minds of those who believe this to be true. So what are we seeing? We've seen that many people in the days when Jesus walked the earth realized that he was someone different, in fact, remarkably different, but they did not understand his person nor his mission. Can I say something? I don't think it's any different today. Many don't understand his person or his mission. Listen, Jesus didn't come to change our behavior. He didn't come to help us live the Ten Commandments. He didn't come to change our political parties. Well, God's a Democrat. No, he's a Republican. I don't think he's either, folks. I would say he's probably independent. And not according to American standards. He's like the king of a kingdom, and the kingdom is here and it's now, it's a way of living. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of doing. That's why Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, this world system. It's not built on anger and retribution and murder and war. It's built on love and peace and unity and grace and restoration. That's why Jesus went around and was healing people. He was restoring and healing. Why? To bring them back to the place they should have been all along. This is what the kingdom does. So as we go through life, through this process, and we say, I'm a Christian, are we really living out the kingdom? Or are we celebrating the king as he comes into the city and then disappointed because he's not kicking butt and taking names? How does it look when Jesus lives his life through us? He didn't come to do all those things. He came to give us life. He came to be the means by which we live a new life. Say that with me, new life. What comes from this new life? Good behavior, fruit of the spirit, good works, love, peace. It blows my mind when you tap into this, when you realize who you really are. I found myself loving people I never thought I would love. Realized that I had some prejudice in my heart. I realized that that I would look at people differently, whether it was a social thing or whether they had issues. And, And I would see people differently, but I'm realizing the more that I see myself in Christ, see myself for who I really am, I start to walk life differently. And even when somebody is a complete, let's say, jerk, a complete jerk to me, it's crazy how easy it is to say, oh man, I love them. They're just hurting. It's not me. They've got soul issues, man. And so you can love people through this. It's almost like you start to walk like Jesus. And you say, "How can I do this?" Well, you can't on your own. It's by his might, by his power, by his strength. Are you catching on to this? And so, are we living loving? Are we living peaceably? Are we trying to bring restoration? Are we trying to bring unity among people? So as we look at this, our behavior changes as we realize who we are. In other words, Jesus came, I want you to get this, to change our minds. I want you to get this. Jesus came to change our minds. It's not that we know him up here in our heads, because we say this a lot in, in Christendom and in, in churches. Yeah, I, I know it up here. I just got to get it down in here. But the truth is, you know it down here. You have to get it here. You follow me? Romans 12, 2, we're transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Jesus came to change our minds about God, about ourselves, and about others. And sometimes I think we get a little disappointed in that. Just like Israel, that they were very disappointed in that. What are we doing? We're getting to know who and what we already know. Has this ever happened to you? You know, you hear something maybe at a Bible study or you're reading something in the, in the Word or, or at a church or something, and you're like, you know what? Like, like in my head I didn't know that, but somehow I, I believe like I always knew that. When you see new revelation in the Word, you're like, Wow, like just one easy thing, when, when you discovered God's grace, you're like, you know what, I, I felt like there always was some graciousness about God, but I couldn't quite put a finger on it, but now I see that. Isn't that wild? When you start to see God as a lover of humanity and not angry, it changes something, you go, man, this makes sense, like, I, I think I knew this all along. See, it's not trying to, change, to get our minds down here in our soul. It's getting our soul and our spirit, those things that I believe we already know through Christ up here to our head and change our mind. Jesus came to change our minds. So what is Jesus saying to us? He's saying, will you repent? I love this word, repentance. Now, some people would maybe accuse us of not preaching repentance enough, but I believe that repentance happens every week that we get together. The word repentance in Greek is the word metanoia, and it means to change your mind. Jesus came to change our minds about who God really was. He did it through words. He did it through actions. Think about this. Jesus always displayed who the Father was. God was always like Jesus. There's never a day that God wasn't like Jesus. Thing is, we didn't realize it, but now we know. And so once you figure this out, isn't it like you go, oh, that's, you know what, this makes sense. I, I think I knew this all along here, but not here. And so it's a life of transformation through renewing our mind. And Jesus came to give us new life. That's why Jesus showed up to the planet to give us new life. So as we talk about this idea of, of Israel being disappointed. How does it apply to our lives? What does it say about life's disappointments? I mean, again, Israel was completely disappointed when Jesus didn't free them from Rome and rule as a warrior king. But what about our life disappointments? What is our response to the unexpected? And really, one one phrase could sum this up. Will we choose to trust God Or to trust the old way of seeing and doing. That's really what it comes down to. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 5. This will be our final scripture today. I want to start in verse. Let's start in verse 1. It says, By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, what is that? Set us right with Him, make us fit for Him. We have it all together with God because of our master, Jesus. In other words, Jesus came to set things right. He came to to help us see who we really are. He came to help us see that God desired relationship with us, that he wasn't far and away. He wasn't angry with us. He was wooing us through love. It's the kindness of the Lord that draws us to what? Mind change, to repentance. And that's what Jesus demonstrated. It says this, and that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already, say that with me, already thrown open his doors to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand. Think about this. We always hoped it would be this way. And God's saying it always has been. You just didn't realize it. And that's why Jesus came to show you the relationship I had always desired with you. This really makes the gospel sweet. This really makes the gospel good news. He says, where are we standing? Out in wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. That doesn't sound wretched to me. Verse three, there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles. Because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patient in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. You see that spirit of expectancy? God, what you got for me next? And guess what? He's a giver of good gifts. It's not bad things. I want you to get this. In alert expectancy such as this, we never left feeling shortchanged. You ever felt shortchanged in life? You ever felt disappointed in life? This is the answer, folks, right here. It says, quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. See, living life through Christ will bring us through disappointment and into peace. This is what Jesus desires for us. This is what our Heavenly Father desires for us that we'll live life through Christ, that he would be the means of our life. And guess what? We'll never be left feeling shortchanged. Do you know that God loves you? Say that God loves me. Say it again. God loves me. I think some of us need to say that like every day when we wake up and every night before we go to bed and maybe like 162 times throughout the day. God loves me. It's easy to tell other people, God loves you. But can you look in the mirror at yourself with your issues, with your sin, with your shortcomings, and say, God, you love me. You care for me. Is so good. And he wants you to see yourself as who you really are, who you truly are. Your sons and daughters of God. And you do have a calling, you have a purpose on your life. It's going to be different than perhaps someone even sitting next to you today. But we're all called. But our first and foremost, we're called into relationship with our Father. See if we can get that first, all the other stuff will come. The good works, the fruit. Uh, the, the living life correctly the, the behaviors sometimes we put the cart before the horse don't we and we're like okay let's get the behavior let's get the works let's get the fruit and we're trying to conjure up I heard one guy call it frankenfruit because it's not the fruit of the spirit it's our fruit we're trying to produce and, and God's saying no 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 I produce the fruit just, just abide in the vine stay in the vine and people go yeah you better stay in that vine because you know what it says if you don't produce fruit he's going to cut you off it's just bad translation. The word in the Greek is the word "arrow." If you're not producing fruit, it means to lift up. Anybody who in that time or even today who would, would raise vines and, and, and vineyard, have vineyards, they wouldn't just, oh, it's not producing, cut it off. No, they would lift it up. Usually it didn't produce because it was in the soil. It was in the muck of life it needed sunlight it needed to be clean and so they would they would pick these up these 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 vines and they would they would brush them off from the dirt and they would put some water and they clean them up and they would tie them off to a trellis or another vine that's healthy why so will produce fruit God is always looking to make your life better let you produce the fruit that you already have in the inside it's already there we don't have to make it happen stay in the vine I've never been in the apple orchard and listened really closely at night and the branches are going, they just produce fruit. How? Just staying on the vine. I'm telling you, life should not be heavy and hard. Jesus invited us to a life that was easy. And I'm not saying life around us is always easy. But I'm talking about a peace here in your soul. I'm talking about a love that you never experienced before in Jesus and your heavenly father. Will you stand with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to pray for you. But if you're here today and you you felt just like, man, I'm just disappointed in life. I'm not happy with where things have ended up. And we could even maybe say, it was my fault. I made bad decisions. I wasn't listening to the voice of the Spirit. I I made bad decisions. You know what? My kids make bad decisions, but it never makes them not my kids anymore. Mm -hmm. Someone needed to hear that this morning. Despite your bad decisions, you're still his children. Well, does God discipline? Oh, yeah. But proper discipline is training us for our future not punishing for us, us for our past it's a training process just like our own kids we want them to be the best that they can be we want them to do the best that they can do but it stems from a relationship of love of nurturing of forgiveness of goodness of kindness and we need to see that's how the Heavenly Father deals with us Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning. I pray that repentance has transpired, metanoia, changing our minds, that we've seen you differently and we see ourselves differently. We realize that you are good, that your grace is sufficient, that your mercies are new every morning, that your love is unconditional, and we're even challenged to measure the height, the depth, the length the breath. It takes a lifetime to truly just grasp a hint of your love for us. I pray for those here today that are struggling with addiction, struggling with issues, that they would stop trying to change life on their own, that they would connect to you and realize that you're right there. You promised to never leave, to never forsake us, to never abandon us. And even our worst moments, you are there. You don't leave us. You're there to say, can I live life through you? Will you live life through me? We thank you for your grace and peace. If you're here this morning and you'd say, you know, I've never made a decision for Jesus. I I see what you're laying out here. and Maybe I've never heard it this way or maybe I was thinking about this salvation thing. But I'd like to make a decision today to follow Jesus, to awaken to who God has made me to be. Just quickly raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anyone here this morning? I thank you, Heavenly Father, for any of those today who have made that decision for the first time, for those of us who have already made that decision maybe seven years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, two months ago, that we would realize more and more who we are in Christ, the the reality of what life means for you to live through us and us to live through you. And I thank you that we'll start to see those behaviors, we'll start to see those responses, Change in favor of who we really are. And that people would sense and experience a love from us they've never experienced before to the point where they say, what is different about you? And we can simply introduce you to them and them to you. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv.